What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to wrap up the post-draft coverage here with a with an interesting topic, the UDFA signings by the Baltimore Ravens here that came in on Sunday. Uh, we're going to look through these, these players. There is, in a lot of cases, very scanty information on that. But joining me to talk about it in, in some depth is Josh Reed. Josh, how you doing? Doing great, Ken. Great to be back with you for a second night in a row. There you go. We had a, a great discussion through the draft that went up today. A lot of people have, have listened to that already. Really appreciate you doing such a, a good job on that. And uh, and I thought we uh, we had a good back and forth. And this is going to be a little lighter, frankly. Uh, there's not the same depth of, of review of these guys. A lot of these guys come from smaller schools, more difficult to get tape, not a, a lot of even highlight reels on them. Uh, if, if they do come from a large school, it's, it's a first principles project again, to go back and look at those guys. And, uh, I do have some advanced metrics on most of them, uh, meaning not just combine stuff, but also some of the performance metrics they had. And there's a few interesting ones as we go through that. We'll talk about certainly, but Josh, you're the guest, but why don't you bring up a guy that, that you want to talk about and we'll, uh, we'll start with him. I mean, it's the guy everyone's talking about, right? You know, the, the Keaton Mitchell, man, that's, that's 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 my guy. I was surprised he didn't get drafted. I figured, you know, if a guy like uh, – what's, what's the guy's name? Uh, Kenny McIntosh should get picked up mm-hmm. in the se- in the seventh round. You know, a guy like Keaton Mitchell ran out like four four three three or something like that. 4-3-7, yeah. Yeah, four three seven. I thought he was definitely going get, to get picked up. So he's, he's a guy, uh, ECU guy, you know, the former, former Pirate. You know, as, as a North Carolina grad myself – you know, I, I didn't go to ECU, but you know, I went to some ECU games when I was in college at North Carolina at Pembroke. But yeah, he's just like real explosive guy. I mean, I think he's like, I think according to PFF, he led the nation in his 54 runs of 10 plus yards for most in the country. So just real explosive dude can get to the corner, take off. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I, I just feel like he has the best chance of all these UDFA guys to actually push for roster spot to stick around. Yeah, 7.2 yards per carry as a as a junior at ECU, 60 catches in his career for 
7.8 yards per target, which is pretty good for a running back. Not too many running backs get up that high. Um, and uh, one thing that is a, is a problem is he's a very small back, 5'8", 179, uh, nothing for arms. So he, he does not really have any value as a pass blocker. Uh, you may know or may not that he's the son of Ravens legend, legend Anthony Mitchell, who had the kick six in the 2000 AFC divisional game. I learned that through you, my good, my good sir. I saw you had posted about it, and I, I plugged in one of my articles. And um, so, yeah, I, I even looked up his, his, his dad's his dad's stats. I think he would have played for the Ravens for like three years to start his career, and then they finished out with like the Titans or somebody. Yeah, a little bit of a story behind that. First of all, Mitchell was a guy the Ravens got in, I think, 2000 as a UDFA. Uh, mm-hmm. played, played special uh, t- teams. Tuskegee, I think. Sounds right. And he played, played played on the team, uh, on special teams, pretty much only the whole season. In fact, he might have had a snap or two, and I'd have to go back and look if he actually had any. But even though the Ravens played a bunch of seven DB packages, Mitchell didn't get on the field. Then in the divisional game, there was an injury to Kim Herring. So they moved Corey uh, Harris to, str- to strong safety to take Kim Herring's role. And Anthony Mitchell actually was on the field not only – for the kick six, um, but he also was on the field for the Ray Lewis interception. And he's in the background on uh, some of the pictures you often see from the end zone of Ray Lewis returning the football. So uh, he's on the field for a couple of big, big plays in Ravens history. I've talked to him at an autograph show. This is a lot to go on for Keaton Mitchell. But we'll, we'll just enter with this final thing that um, he actually was told by Rod Woodson not to pick up the ball. He asked him, you know, should I pick up the ball? Uh, when it goes in the end zone like that, on the first blocked field goal by Keith Washington that game, Keith Washington blocked two kicks. Anthony Mitchell ran back into the end zone to pick up the first one, and he was thinking about running it out. and And uh, uh, Woodson told him not to do it. And then they, they they went to the sideline, and Woodson goes, "No, it's a live ball. It goes past the line of scrimmage. It's like a punt." And all that's true. Second time around, ball came right up in the air naturally to him, floated right to him. And there's a number of Ravens that are going, giving them the safe side, let it go, let it go, kind of thing. He took the ball, and immediately those guys did a great job of transitioning into blocking. And lots of good blocks thrown on that play on Mitchell's return. And, of course, it, it was – some people would say it's still the most important play in Ravens history. I think it's kind of been eclipsed by the mile-high miracle, but it was an enormous swing in win probability in that game, right on same kind of level as the Huntley fumble against Cincinnati in terms of completely turning weight around a, a playoff game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was just um, – that, that, Former special teams player, player, player myself. That's uh, that's a uh, that's the, that's the kicking protection team's worst nightmare is uh, getting a kick blocked. You got nothing but but big, nothing but bigs. Yep, that's guys <laughs> out there. And just, like, you could have the most athletic big. He's probably still not going to catch yeah. that buck seventy five DB who's running down the, mm-hmm. running down with the with the convoys. So yeah, there was um, that those the plays like that. Like I said, some often get overlooked. But with, the, with a franchise like this that doesn't have the best offensive track record. Things like that get remembered more and more, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it was definitely a very cool moment. It, it's uh, it was my best day ever of football prior to the Mile High Miracle for sure. You know, we went to the game. It was that play happened, and literally Maureen turned to me and goes, "Hey, Mitchell, you know, <laughs> who's that kind of thing?" And uh, uh, yeah, I wasn't as as much of a student of the game as I am now. I was certainly wasn't doing anything in terms of keeping score of what defenders were on the field. Did those games much later. Uh, but but anyway, I thought that was just one of those things that was uh, that was really cool. He went to Cincinnati, played with Marvin Lewis, and 
Um, I, I, my understanding is Marvin really, really had him for special teams more there, and he didn't get on the field as much as a defensive back because Marvin didn't use as many DBs when, when he was there. But, uh, but pretty cool, pretty cool uh, uh, situation with Anthony Mitchell getting his son drafted. I'm sure he's very proud. Uh, and let's talk a little bit more about Keaton. Yeah, yeah, he's just he's just a guy that I, I I feel like you know given the status of the Ravens running back situation, like the Ravens are set for twenty twenty three, but only twenty twenty three. Yeah, you know, and, and you're gonna want a guy to get those carries in the preseason. You know, like that's 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 when the, that's when the UDFA running backs get you know get the the bulk of their carries. You know, I don't even, I don't even know if they're gonna have Justice Hill get a lot of run just because of you know how integral he is to their special teams unit in the regular season, and you know like just. Anybody who's like you know really under contract or like you know who they really value, I feel like it's gonna be a bubble rack for most of the preseason. They're not gonna you know roll the dice like they did in twenty twenty one. So um, he's a guy I feel like it's gonna have opportunity to not just not just make the team, but show what he has for this team, potentially even other teams if the Ravens don't retain him because he's gonna guy he's gonna get a lot of running in the, in, the, in the preseason. And I feel like he's gonna be a guy. I'm not saying he's gonna be that Isaiah Likely of of, of of this preseason, but he's gonna have ample opportunity to showcase his talents. And I'm I'm excited for what he can do both in, in both on. Um, an offense and, um, you know, as a potential returner in the kicking game. Yeah, I'm sure he'll get some play there. Uh, you know, the Ravens need a backup at, at that position. They've got a couple guys that they can uh, they can go to in terms of their, their wide receiver core or, or Mitchell, I think, are both good choices. I don't think Mitchell would be the ideal guy for kick coverage, but maybe. You know, maybe he's a guy they can they can trust in that role too. You need you need fast guys, obviously yeah, on all special teams units. If he can show, if he can show, he can be a good gunner. I mean, Justice Hill, people didn't really project him to be a good special teams guy. And that guy was turned into one of the better gunners in the league the past couple of years. So if you're fast and tenacious, you can get down there and get. If you can catch a guy before he gets some momentum, or like almost right right when he catches the ball, because it really depends on the kind of re- returner that you're going up against. If you have a returner who likes to try to reverse field and make people miss, um, and you know, like he'll, that guy will stop his feet. Or when you're going against one of those north and south guys who just got one, like I want to cut and go, like, like running backs who are returners often are one cut and go. Receivers who are returners, defense backs who are returners, they're the guys that try to reverse field and make people miss and that kind of stuff. So depending on the kind of return that you have, he could if you could get a guy to stop his feet, you could drop your feet and take him down, or at least or at least slow him up to get the get the rest get the rest of the guys come down there and round him. Yep. Let's go back to Keaton, the runner here, because he's the one guy that I had kind of a full scouting review of. The other, the other guys, I, I have various bits and pieces, but not a lot. So uh, Keaton, I want to talk about a little bit. One of the things I really liked about him as a runner, when I'm looking at all the the running backs, and he was a he was an honorable mention in my group. There is he's very patient behind the line of scrimmage, despite his speed, and so he kind of reminds me. He's much smaller, of course, uh, of Le'Veon Bell in that respect, of a guy who really patiently kind of waits for holes. I think that kind of patience could translate to good mesh point mechanics because the Ravens want a nice long mesh for Lamar to work his magic there. And you got to be able to, to allow the ball to be pulled late, a la Mark Ingram. You know, you got to be good at that. That'll be one of the big challenges in this rookie camp is, is make, his first year camp for him is making sure that he learns to execute the mesh point the way that Lamar wants it done. If he does, there could be a good trust build up there, I, I think, pretty quickly. Unfortunately, he probably goes in and, and does that a lot with the second team quarterback with Tyler Huntley and and doesn't get as much time to practice it with Lamar. But anyway, it's it's something that if he learns to do that well, um, he's got a very good chance, I would think, to make this team. And and he's he, he's one of two guys with the best chance, I think, of the UDFAs to make it. A uh, couple things about his college career: context has been a big issue for him. Uh, he played at ECU. 
and he played well against Cincinnati, but in general, he most of his other good results came against lesser teams. Now, you, you run for over seven years of carry. I don't, I'm not sure we care too much about that, but he's got a lot of highlights mm-hmm. against, against lesser teams, certainly in there. Uh, great stylistic fit for the Ravens in terms of being a speed guy who can threaten the line of scrimmage horizontally. That was a big thing that's been missing from Roman's offense the last couple of years is really having that guy who would really threaten the edge out of sidecar. Keaton Mitchell is the perfect guy for those kind of runs, natural kind of bouncer to the outside. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do a lot of things to uh, force the defense to stay honest on the outside, maybe overreact some and open up some big holes in the middle for Lamar. So I like a lot of that about him. And I thought in a lot of ways he was, he was one of the really good, potentially cheap options to be a good stylistic fit for what the Ravens try and do. So uh, a lot of things to like about Keaton Mitchell and uh, very happy. He's a Raven. Hey, would you, would you rather have had like say Kenny McIntosh didn't get drafted? Would you rather have, have Ke- Keaton Mitchell or Kenny McIntosh? And I'm still in the Keaton camp. I'll take, I'll take certainly Keaton undrafted over McIntosh drafted. How about that? That's yeah. That, that's kind of what I was, what I was alluding yeah. to. Would you rather have spent a seven? I'd rather have spent a seventh round pick on, on Voorhees on, you know, who's going to be a protected oh, yeah. starter the starter in the year than trade back in for, you know, to get a Todd Monken guy for the sake of getting the Todd Monken guy. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I had, I, McIntosh might've been ninth or something on my list of running backs. He was, he was definitely on the list. Uh, let me bring that up. Where did I have McIntosh? I want to give you an answer that actually is uh, what I've got here. Okay. So. I remember I had him fairly high. on. Yeah. That. I had him ninth. I had him, yeah. I think I had him a little bit higher than yeah. that because of the, because of the Monken familiarity. Right. I had Mitchell at 14th. I thought he was probably worth a sixth round pick by by my judgment. And the and the Ravens yeah. obviously didn't have a sit or didn't use a six on him. So they uh you know, I you know, good value. They, they certainly if you get a like the guy like that. I kind of wonder how they allocated their money this year, and I don't have that, but uh I wonder if they gave him a you know a third of the total bonus pool they had because he seems to be the, the the player most likely to make the team. Okay, I'll pick another player to talk about right now, and that's uh, SMU offensive lineman Jalen Thomas. Uh, 6'5", 3'11", 32-inch arms, 4'95", on, on the 40. Uh, he's not terribly old for a lineman. He's he's 23, but believe me, there's a lot of 24-year-olds and even some 25-year-olds by opening day who are out there among the Ravens' UDFA players. Uh, the interesting thing about him is he started, not just played, but started at all five offensive line positions in 2022. So, uh, yeah, that was yes, my note too. Yeah. Yeah. Ascending pass blocker. You know, the Ravens are going to love that versatility. They want to Pat McCary mark two, uh, if they can possibly get him. He has the speed, I think, to pull and work in level two. Um, but that's actually been knocked about his game. In some reports, so you get you, you see a lineman who runs a four ninety five forty, and you figure he's probably a, a good enough athlete to move around. And Bozeman, I mean, was a five and change forty, and he could still get out there and pull. Had the good footwork mechanics uh, to do it properly, even though that hadn't been his thing in college. So hopefully, this is a case where whatever things have not worked with him pulling, uh, Coach D will be able to straighten out. I don't doubt for a second that. Coach D has had some review of what he's done at SMU. And uh, and I think he's probably the best chance of a UDFA offensive lineman to make the team. So maybe maybe the second highest uh, behind Keaton of uh, all of them. 
Yeah, anytime the Ravens see a guy like who has that that positional flexibility, uh, a la Patrick McCarry, I mean that's that's the kind of guy that you know they're really going to covet. And like I said, if they don't if they don't find a way for him to get him on the roster, he's definitely going to be a, a prime practice squad candidate. Um, like that, um, and he's a guy. I don't know if you saw the highlight of him catching a pass or like a scoring touchdown. But, but any any guy that they trust to 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 go out for a passing pattern, I know they're going to be able to, to, to turn to a good puller because that means that guy can. Can move in space, you know. If, they, if you trust them to, to, to catch the ball and, and you know be involved in the offense in that in that fashion, so he's a he's a guy, you know. That real like what I saw on, on from the mistake that I saw, real active feet, you know, uh, like the good good size, solid pass protector. Um, I think on I, I read that he didn't allow a sack his, his final season. Um, yeah. Good, good, yeah, good, good four year starter. Ravens love that kind of stuff. Experience, flexibility. And um and, and mobility. So that's the kind of guy that I think has a really good chance of sticking around. I, I want to point out just how impressive that is, too, because SMU obviously had to have some offensive line issues in general that he was asked to move around as much as he was. So they probably had a lot of continuity issues. And I don't honestly know from game to game you know, who they were missing, but they had to have continuity issues for him to do that. This wasn't some sort of Burt Campaneris or Cesar Tovar stunt. Both those guys played all nine positions in a single major league game, but they did it for you know marketing purposes. You know, they, they want to get draw a big crowd for those games and for teams that weren't doing all that well. In this case, he, he didn't do it out of showmanship here. He did it because because they needed him to. And the fact that he was such a good pass blocker with such crappy continuity situation is a really impressive thing. PFF graded him very highly on that. I don't have the exact number, but I, I, he, he improved each year with his pass blocking, which is also something nice and positive. So uh, very happy to see the Ravens get a guy like that. Wouldn't be surprised if a fair amount of their pool went to him too. Yeah, I think he, I think he was probably ran like a, like a sub, sub, sub 542. Yeah, so 495. A, yeah, yeah. So he's a, he's a guy get out there and move. Now, because he did so much stuff at the specific school, you know, you know, do you know where I'm going with this? Would you say that he was the Brandon Stevens yes. of their offensive line? Yes, that's a very good point. And you know, it's two different coordinators. And I, I, I think, you know, I can't really say that Brandon Stevens did it entirely out of need because they were switching him on a down by down basis. It wasn't like a game by game basis. He at least started games at different positions. So I think it's more likely it was need based on the offensive line than it was for Brandon Williams in terms of a they wanted a specific sort of matchup on a down-by-down -down basis or a, source, a, a specific type of usage on a down-by-down -down basis with him. So I, I tell you what, this one of the really funky things was trying to follow Brandon Stevens's red sneakers around that football field if you're just watching normal TV tape on that. So anyway, uh, your turn. Bring us, bring us the next player. Okay, uh, another guy Another guy I like to um... – um, given the the lack of, uh, not with, I wouldn't say death, but like the Ravens only have like what like, like Travis Jones, Michael Pierce. Mm -hmm. I think they're only only defensive tackles under contract through you know like through this season. So so another guy who I who I like who might um, have a decent chance is a uh, uh, is a uh, how do you say his name? Kaim Kaim Caesar from from Ohio. I call defensive him Kai. Tackle. Kai Caesar. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah, probably it's probably Kaim. Yeah, probably Kaim. Uh, yeah, Caesar from um from Ohio. So I didn't. I couldn't find a whole bunch of tape on him, but just you know, based on some of the reports that I read and um, I think like the limited tape that I did that I did find on him and the fact that you know this guy who's who's, who's an ascending player too. You know, he recorded a career high five and a half sacks last um, last years last year in, in college. 
And the Ravens, like I said, they value the interior pressure and the guy who can who can who's shown that he's not not just a good run stuffer because he had um, he had pretty a pretty good uh, run run stuffing tape out there too. But a guy who can still on on the on the uptick as a pass rusher, I feel like um, they're going they're going to value too and has a, perhaps a, a decent chance of of making this roster. I mean, Mike, it took Michael Pierce to the last preseason game to make the roster, so you never know. Yeah. Uh, well, defensive line is one of the places where the Ravens have really been able to to find guys. My guess is some scout really liked this guy and maybe not red starred him because they might have saved the red star for somebody else. But they, they you know, identified him as a priority UDFA, as a guy who could help them. Um, there's a couple of things about that. You mentioned the five and a half sacks. He did that with a pressure rate that was only five point six percent, which is really unusual. But but what it means is he's really much more of a finisher in terms of what he's doing. Uh, I did not watch tape to see if his sacks were cleanup sacks or not, but that's a, that's a high five and a half sacks. is a lot for a 5.6% pressure rate. 5.6% pressure rate really is not much of a pocket, uh, compressor on the interior defensive line on the edge. You might want 20%, 18% on the interior. 10% is good, but 5.6 is not particularly good. And, and I, I'm hopeful he's a, a run stuffer. The thing that kept showing up is he's had a lot of tackling issues in his career, a 14.7% missed tackle rate. So that's something that's got to get cleaned up. Much too high for an interior defensive lineman. Interior defensive lineman, generally, they get their hands on the running back. That running back's going down. That's a, that's a much bigger uh, – uh, they're much bigger than the, than the player they're trying to tackle. So uh, a little bit – you know, I'm, I'm optimistic. He has the, the, the requisite size, certainly, to play the position. Um, probably needs to clean some things up. I'd say he's a likely practice squad guy uh, and an, a little bit of an unlikely roster guy. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me a little bit of uh, who was that uh, Nichols at uh, Sam Houston State last uh, last yeah last year. You know, a guy who like flash a little bit in preseason and be a good solid solid depth guy that you could probably call up on if, if you need a defensive lineman in a pinch during the regular season. Yeah, you get a, get three free upgrades or whatever it is now from the practice squad. I don't know whether it's two or three this year, but uh, they ch- keep changing the rules on that. But, uh, but yeah, that'd be good if they needed uh, one like that. All right, let me bring up another guy here. Who do I want to talk about here? Um, okay, we talk about one that I, I I think is a probable practice squad guy. Oregon State offensive lineman Brandon Kipper, six six three twenty six, thirty three and five eighths inch arms. Uh, born in 1998, so he'll be 25 in September. Uh, like I said, they got some older guys. The problem with him is is really does not have the functional strength yet. 16 bench reps, awful measurables, a 553-40, 24.5-inch vertical, 8-inch broad jump. Uh, he's been a penalty machine in college. 35 penalties in his last 1,500 snaps. That is an absurdly high uh, rate. Uh, and that included six declined. And normally you'd think, oh, decline penalties aren't that bad. Decline penalties mean the defense had an option. They count fully, and oftentimes they're much worse because uh, a false start penalty, at least you're, you're ripping the Band-Aid off, it's always a five-yard penalty. An illegal downfield penalty, for example, is a five-yard penalty, but it's also or the result of the play if worse. And if that's third down, the ball was incomplete anyway, you just turned the ball over there. And you gave you you gave your your team no chance for the upside on the play. So, uh, decline penalties are actually in a lot of ways worse than the than the non decline penalties. Uh, what else do I have to say about that? Uh, his 
pass blocking has improved significantly. And in particular, what I noticed was in the second half of his redshirt senior um, year at Oregon, uh, he only allowed three pressures and one quarterback hit in his final seven college games. So that's a nice thing to see. Uh, you know, you obviously see a lot of green on PFF towards the end of the season, which is nice. But but it's it's a that actual count numbers is is quite good. Um, and his overall pass blocking record really to that point in his entire college career kind of spotty. So it's nice to see him get it figured out at that point. Hopefully he gets some good tape going. I think he's probably a Ravens practice squad guy and uh, a big strength and penalty avoidance project for the Ravens, but maybe the one they're willing to undertake. I think he's a, probably a year away from, from playing for the Ravens, but, but we'll see how uh, the season progresses. Yeah, he's he's a guy. He's a guy like that. Um, like you know, when it, especially when it comes to UEFA guys, like Ravens will have like a nice mix of small school. And if there, if there are any like big school guys that kind of fall through the cracks and go undrafted, they'll want those guys too. Guys with a lot of starts under the belt, guys who proved to be durable in, in, in college. You know, those are the guys that they're going to want to come in and take to take take a flyer on and at least try to develop develop because they know they're they may not necessarily be on other teams' radar of like if the other teams let them. Let them, you know, sign, sign elsewhere. Just be a guy that can kind of slip underneath the um, the radar and develop for a couple of years. Maybe you can turn into something. Mm-hmm. Who's your next guy? Okay, my next guy was that the one of the two cornerbacks, the one from uh, UTSA. He's the he's the one that uh, he's the one that I the, right the Texas El Paso, right? Yeah, Corey Corey That's, Mayfield. Uh, yeah, Corey, Corey, yeah, yeah, Corey Mayfield. Like I thought of of the two corners that they. That they they signed him and the guy from Vanderbilt. Um, I like I like Corey Mayfield's tape a lot more. You know he made he made more plays on the ball. Um, because uh, a little 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 bit shorter, but I I take a sac I sacrifice a little bit in the height if if the guy has you know that if his tape looks better. You know if he has you know like what he lacks in measurables he makes up for and instincts ball skills. Um, you know he's coming off he's coming off of, uh, his, his best season in his last year where he put up you know career high numbers. Six three tackles, six six for loss, three interceptions. It's a guy that gets his hands on the ball. The guy from Vanderbilt only had two interceptions to his name in his college career, and this guy already, and this other guy already had uh, had three interceptions and thirteen pass breakups um, this last year alone. So, a guy who gets who's around the ball, gets his hands on the ball, makes breaks on the ball. I'll value that more than a guy who just is you know tall and I know you like your aircraft carriers, but I like my, I like my I like my ball my ball breakups. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. The Corey Mayfield to me is the better prospect. He ran 4:49 at his pro day. Always take that with a grain of salt, but that's that's fast enough. That will get him by in in uh, in the NFL at corner. I think a pretty good chance he ends up in the slot at 5'10", 190, kind of shorter arms at 30.875. Uh, this is really good. His actual coverage statistics are very good. Nine touchdowns, seven interceptions in the last three seasons. That's a great ratio to have, or good, very good ratio to have. Let's put it that way. Passer ratings allowed 79.8, 63.0, 22 passes defense. You mentioned that. Um, a lot of interception variation. I did actually get to look through his highlights, at least, which have several of his interceptions. Uh, an overthrow, an undercut on a hitch for a pick six, a tip ball in the middle of the field. I want to see variation. In, in how those interceptions came. I'd like to like to not always see them under the same circumstances. I'd like them not all to be easy, bad balls that he somehow picked off. These are these were really nice plays he made on the football um, each of these times. He has been penalized 19 times total in the last three seasons, so it gets a little grabby. Uh, he's exclusively an outside cornerback at UTSA, uh, but I think he might be ticketed to slot uh, for the Ravens. I think he's, if I had to guess, he's, he 
has a pretty good chance to be the Ravens, you know, backup, backup slot corner. They have a lot of cornerbacks to work through this year, but it's going to be interesting to see. I don't, I don't think there's any reason why Pepe, a fourth round draft pick last year necessarily has the advantage over Corey Mayfield, even though he went undrafted. I think, you know, you got to, first of all, you're resetting the clock. You got a little bit bigger player in, in Mayfield. So I, it'd be, it'd be interesting to me to see how they look at those two guys and uh, and relate them together. Do you want to talk about the Vanderbilt cornerback while we're here? Yeah, you can talk about him. You know, guy that transferred from Connecticut, and um, it's it's funny when guys transfer after having their quote unquote best season to date, and then have a lesser season at the new place. And he's 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 one of those guys that had one of those lesser seasons. You know, he like I said he his last year at Connecticut, he did get to get get his hand on the ball a little bit more, didn't make more plays, and then he went to Vanderbilt and had a. I don't even know what you call it—an average season, a below-average season. That's uh, that's too 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 generous. <laughs> yeah, that's the same. Yeah, it's like below-average season. So yeah. he's a guy that that I feel like you know they really kind of brought in as like I don't want to say unmeasurables alone, but like okay, he has prototypical quarterback size and length that you that you like, and you can see what maybe we can turn this guy into something. Maybe he wasn't coached well at Vanderbilt. And, you know, sometimes that, that's the thing with the transfer portal thing, man. Guys fall in love with these new destinations, but, you know, sometimes the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So um, when, you, when, you, when, you make that, when you make that commitment to transfer to another place, a new place where you've had success, I mean, it's, it's, it, it can really be Pandora's box for these, for these young men sometimes. So a fair amount to talk about here. You mentioned, mentioned the measurable. He's 6'2", 194. Here's here's the problem with his measurables. So that part looks good. He looks like he looks the part of an aircraft carrier. 470, 40. That is not going to get it done on the outside of corner. It's, it's like the second percentile or something, according to one of the things. And that's a pro day measurement. So if they were fudging, they're fudging in the wrong direction on that, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's born 512, 2000. So he's a 23 year old guy. Um, he had an unbelievable turnaround in terms of getting his tackling together in his senior year. And this is, might be what the Ravens like that. He really put his nose to the grindstone, obviously changed his game, probably changed his tackling form. Although I don't know exactly what contributed to the career missed tackle rate of 24.4% in his first years in his, in his senior year, 4.2%. So he missed only two tackles made 46 and that's 4.2% missed tackle rate and, and 24.4% before that. Just unbelievable. And I think the Ravens may have looked at that. They may have combined it with interviews and said, we like the guy's coachability. Um, we like his interview. Uh, we, we Maybe we don't know about that 40 time. Maybe he reported an injury to them and said, you know, I, I run faster than that. They, they have Hamilton from last year as a guy who ran 470, who they know plays a lot faster than 470. They may like him as maybe a zone corner. Uh, they may like him as a press corner. I, I was I was going to say I've, I've even seen some things that said he may project better as a safety at the next level given yes. given given his lack of speed, but he has good closing speed because like a lot of times where he where he's, we can read things and thought they were coming, he closed real fast. He's one of those guys that can maybe maybe read things, diagnose things a little quicker and react quicker. So like sometimes you'll have the guys who are fast. But you know, like they don't they they don't read things well, so they're a tick slower than the guys who may actually. You can have a four 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 guy and a four seven guy, but if the four four seven the four seven guy knows what he's doing all the time, and a four and the four four guy is kind of lost in the space, then the one guy's gonna be in position to make plays, and the other one's just gonna be trailing. Like, yeah, he has good recovery speed, but if you don't get beat, you'll have to recover. Right, and instincts 
plays so much of a, of a part at safety. And you're right about that. And I have that on my thing it is, is uh, not sure what the Ravens are hoping for here, perhaps conversion to safety. And I, I, you probably read it somewhere, but his in, in coverage last year, this is just unbelievable. Opposing passer rating of 139.4. So it's a good thing he was a good tackler. 9.8 yards per target. There's only a handful of Ravens receivers in, in their entire history who have reached 9.8 yards per target for a season. Everybody who threw at you know Jeremy Lucien was 9.8 yards per target on average. So that's a uh, that's a really scary number. And I think I think you're probably right about the conversion to safety is is the likely route they're uh, they're going. Yeah. You want to pick the next guy? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I got a defensive the defensive end from the HBCU that I that I that I liked. What was his name? I got it up here. A Cameron Peterson. Yeah, there we, there we go. Yeah, from Southern University. Um, yes, you know he's he's a he's a guy that um, you know given that you know the Ravens have a have a whole I wouldn't say this is a whole at five technique, but you know with the release of Calais Campbell with free cap space, you know there there's a bit of a void there, and you don't want to go into it with just Brent Urban. I know they talked about having uh, Tavius Robinson play play a little bit of that too, but he's a guy that you're also going to want to line up on the edge. So you're gonna you're gonna need some more depth at five technique. And if they're going to spend their, uh, you know, like if they're going to allocate their big money, cap, remaining cap dollars to getting a veteran corner, then maybe you try to, you know, fill plug that hole that five technique with a mixture of, you know, Tavius Robinson, Brent Urban, and maybe even this um, this guy from from Southern here. He's a he's he's a guy that's you know one of another guy who's kind of a an ascending player who's um, coming off you know his, his his best his best season of his of his collegiate career. HBCU guy, six foot five, two hundred eighty pounds. Um, he has he has pretty pretty he has a like you know pretty decent size to play five technique. I feel like if he puts on a little bit more more weight, it'd be better you know help help him hold up better at the NFL at the NFL level. But he's a pretty good run stopper. I, I watched him at the HBCU HBCU uh, uh, Legacy Bowl. <coughs> he's a guy that was, was pretty good as as a as a run as a run stopper and, and penetrator in the backfield. So um, I think he's one of those upside guys that can if he shows a little something something in the preseason, he could find himself a little niche role on this team. Yeah, I, I think that's possible, and or be a guy that that is on the practice squad, and maybe is a is a guy you call up when the, the nag occur as they do throughout a, a, a typical NFL season. Same thing, I agree with you on the on the five tech is his spot. He had a ten point six percent pressure rate um, in twenty twenty two. That's good. You that's what you want on the interior defensive line. If I recall correctly, he has about six batted passes in his college career. I may be thinking of the wrong guy, but I think it's him. Uh, uh good run defender. He spent time at McNeese State before Southern. Uh, what it looks like to me is he probably is a good space denier. Gets in the back, uh, gets in the backfield a little bit with uh, uh, you know penetrating and denies space well. But he has not had a good missed tackle uh, rate for his career, sixteen point two percent. So I think he's a reasonable chance to make the practice squad. I think there's a good chance he does not get poached. Uh, from the Ravens and you need a five tech on about 20% of plays. So it's not, it's not the position where you need a lot of extra guys and just put that in perspective. You're going to play about 65 defensive snaps per game. 20% of that is 13. If you're asking Brent Urban to play 13 snaps, he'll get you through that. He's a, he's a, you know, a fine player. And if you ask somebody else like Broderick Washington to take share of that, no problem with that either. Uh, I do think the Ravens are, particularly prone on the defensive line right now to injury uh, with, with the guys they have um, really, I, 
one of the things that will help get away from that, let me just start, so lay this out there right now, is that Michael Pierce is healthy for the year and Travis Jones and Michael Pierce could be on the field at the same time a lot because I think Travis Jones really could provide some very good penetration value when he's allowed to go one-on-one against a, a guard uh, from that three-tech spot as opposed to what it gives you um, as a, a plain kind of backup nose. So hopefully he won't be put in a position where that's the only only position he really plays and uh, and uh, gets some you know quality other uh, reps because he's still probably going to be a two-down player. That might change if we really see some great pass rush out of him. But uh, but I'm 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 eager to see a broader set of responsibilities along that defensive line on passing. On, sorry, on on uh, early downs from Travis Jones. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to give too off the topic here, but a guy like Travis Jones, somebody I'm really excited about heading into year two. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like what he flashed in the preseason last year. I mean, that was a guy who, like, if it wasn't for that damn knee sprain, I mean, this is the dude that I, I, I felt like, you know, like after Michael Pierce went down, I was like, okay, like this, this, this is our, this is our guy. I mean, he's the kind of guy that has the quickness and and, and strength. I mean, just like that, that natural grown man juggernaut strength to yeah. really blow, blow through dudes. And violent, violent, active hands, the kind of guy who can, you know, so that, he's not just your traditional nose. He's a guy you can slide over to three technique and, you know, play other spots for a defensive line because he has that quickness. He has that power. He, you know, he can he can pretty much bully any interior offensive lineman he comes across. Yeah, was, you know, when Brent Irwin was on the show the one time, one one comment he made about Travis Jones was really telling. And, and we were talking about, like, stunting and then – Trying to go into the, the 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 shoulder of a of a center after crossing a guard, for example, and you know he would know that he would have the length advantage most typically then, and and the thing that that he said is he always has to go from two hands down to one to do that, and and you know if you could you'd probably go from one hand one hand right away because you're longer with one arm than you are with two, and so you 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 would have a, a further advantage where. You can't do anything about the fact that you have a big arm, big old paw on his on his shoulder because he can't reach you. Uh, but Urban said, no, I really can't do that. I, I I have to go two hands and then one. The only guy I've seen that do that is Travis Jones. And yeah, so, it was a good episode. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, it's, I, I, I really love that comment. It's just it gave me so much hope for Travis's future in terms of, of what's going on here. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, uh, let's see. I think we've, we've talked Peterson. I uh, We agree he's a reasonable practice squad guy. Who do we, we, we talked about Deshaun Manning already, right? Or did we not? We talked about a pre-show. We talked about a pre-show. Okay. So let's talk about Deshaun Manning, offensive lineman out of uh, Kentucky after four years at Auburn. 6'3", 327, 34 and a half inch arms, uh, 534. This is not an exceptional athlete. Okay. You see – just is not that at all. 1,878, though, SEC snaps. He has – iron has sharpened iron to a degree. Uh, he's been a consistently fine pass blocker. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that's that's mentioned about it in, in, in multiple scouting reports is that he, he uh, handles the bull rush very well. And so if that's all the defensive tackle – Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Guys, that's really good. 
Uh, very limited mobility, not great lateral mobility, not great movement to level two. But I think he's a high probability practice squad player. And, and guys like that who have his kind of size and his kind of length almost always find a way at least onto a practice squad. And in fact, they're the kind of guys who get poached from a practice squad. So if the Ravens have this guy, um, they, they may be forced into a decision to keep him on the on the roster or not. And they'll, they'll look at him preseason. He, he either show up or, or he really won't. And if he puts a bunch of crappy tape on there, they may still keep him on the practice squad just because of his measurables, try and work it out with him. And uh, uh, then obviously there's not a, as much of a chance that he'll get poached if other teams are, are looking at that. But uh, Sean Manning, a guy I think probably has a, a high probability of being on the practice squad. Yeah, when it comes to the Ravens, um, especially when it comes to offensive linemen, whether undrafted or drafted, you know, they really value two two things, um, you know, power five pedigree and and size. And if you come from a smaller school, you better be big. You better be either really big or really or, or really efficient in your in your technique. But when you come from a power five school and you're big, like I said, those those are two things that you know Ravens are like you know we'll get, give this guy a we'll give this guy a shot. And um, our, our guy Daniel, Daniel Reese even mentioned that, you know, given that they 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 uh, signed him to a uh, forty thousand guarantees, you know, it's on, on the higher side as far as UDFA money. So he's a guy that they clearly prioritize an undrafted free agency. Yeah. Do you have the numbers for everybody for that? I mean, forty thousand is. I think there's only one hundred and fifty thousand in the total pool, or at least that was what it was last year. Uh, no, I don't have going for everybody. Just for I just saw that. I just saw that Daniel had, had, had pointed that out when um, Aaron Aaron Wilson had, had tweeted out the, the the money for it. Usually, they don't mention the guy's money unless the guy got a sizable amount of money. Right. So uh, yeah. I, I know a, a guy I'm all going to be talking to um, for for a, a work story. Brandon Peely um, from up here in Anchorage, Alaska. He signed with the Dolphins. And he signed. He, he got. He signed to a hundred thousand. A hundred thousand. That's what they signed into. So. That's like that's that's big free agent. That's big free agent money, and that, 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 you can tell that's a guy that's probably going to factor into their plans and who they really um, think is going to um, make their roster. I know it's not Ravens related, but it just that kind of ties into this topic as far as you know. You kind of go where the where the money, where the money goes. Okay, they, they clearly like that guy. Uh, I think that with the the Patriots uh, signing Malik Cunningham uh, from from Louisville, the quarterback who broke a bunch of Lamar Jackson's records to a, a sizable undrafted free agent deal. So he's probably going to be contention for the third, the third spot behind Zappi and Matt Jones up there. All right. You, do you want to bring up the next guy? Yeah, let me go. Let me go to my list here. Um, no, I think another, another small school guy. Um, big, big old dude. Um, where is he at? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Ty, Takeem, Takeem yeah. Dawson, Southern, Southern <laughs> Mississippi. Yeah, that guy. I mean, talk about talk about that. Like, what, what was I just saying, Ken? You know, when, when you go from a small school, you got to be either big or technically sound. Now, he's not necessarily technically sound, but that dude is big and he's agile. I mean, for somebody that big, six foot five, three hundred sixty-five pounds, to, to to be able to get out and move in space the way he does, and he can play both tackle. He has experience playing both that tackle and guard. I mean, that's just I'm playing the violin right now. That's music to the Ravens' ears. He's a guy yeah. that they're definitely going to want to try to develop and bring along. So there's a lot to like here, and you've mentioned some of it here, but 6'5", 378, 35-inch arms. Okay, and this is a really great point on the efficient frontier of length and strength. 35-inch arms and 28 bench reps. That's really good. I mean, there aren't that many guys who get to 28 bench reps, and guys with 35-inch arms, very, very, very unusual for that to happen. But then he's got some of the downside. He's got a 554-40. Uh, you know, that's like Rich Eisen level, slightly better. 
Uh, (laughs) Literally, I mean, uh, he's he's an okay run blocker who in college has been absolutely awful as a pass blocker. So I'm trying to figure out what they what the Ravens really see because he played offensive tackle at at Southern Miss. I'm thinking the Ravens may move him to guard. And right now, the Ravens, uh, I understand why that size, length, and strength would be intriguing. He's a complete body sculpting project. I mean, you know, the guy is, he's not carrying around a tire. He's carrying around like a Wendy's around his, <laughs> around his belly. So it's just, it's, he's huge, man. And I, uh, you know, I don't want to be too rough on him for that, but it is what it is. It, it, the, the, the Ravens may think he'd be better suited at guard. Um, what they're, What you really see is they're piling up right tackle, and guard, sorry, tackle to guard conversions, but the Ravens do not have a good handle on who the next left tackle is. If the if Ronnie Stanley suddenly can't go, I mean, everybody they've got is pretty much a right tackle, or or it has to be kicked into guard. And it's basically like building your pitching staff and acquiring twenty relievers and saying we can get through with this. You know, so you have you have no real starting pitchers, and uh, it's it's just not an ideal situation. And uh, and that's a. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, the Ravens obviously see something like they like, and I hope it's not just those measurables. I hope it's something about what he sounded like when they talked to him or something about a coach said about his work ethic or maybe something that um, Joe D saw on tape or the scouts did and conferred with Joe D and they said, yeah, we can work with that kind of thing to train him. But I, I'm just, he's, he's a major project. He'd be a full year away. I don't think he gets poached off the Ravens practice squad if he's sitting there. Uh, so, so I think it's a, it's, he's an interesting one, but a likely practice squad guy at the best. I'll tell you what, if he, if he was in the preseason, if this guy's laying out dudes like he was in some of his highlight tapes, there's going to be a good chance he get coached just because somebody might be willing to <coughs> take a chance on that, on that, on that upside, on that, on that, on that big guy right there. <coughs> Excuse me. But he's a, he's a guy like, um, like I, like I, what kind of stuck out to me about, um, the, the Salah pick was that you know, like they talked about the Zoom call he had with Joe D. And I figured Joe D might have a, quite a few Zoom calls with guys who were like, that had desirable measurables that he's like, hey, you know, if you're willing to work and take this coaching, I can really, you know, you can, you can, I can really make you something here. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's a guy that, um, I like, whenever I look at some of these, like sizing, these size measurable guys, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a Joe D guy right there. That's, that, that's a guy Joe D was probably wouldn't necessarily pounding the table for, but like, hey, you give me this guy in this room, I can do something with him. This is an interesting point because one of the things I did a lot at work was be involved in the hiring process and hiring actuaries. Everybody's kind of smart. So you're, you're, you're working through people and everybody's on their best behavior when they come in. So you, you don't really get a sense necessarily of can they do the work. So we, we had to give them a test that you kind of put them under stress. And I hope the Ravens, has, we called it the first day intern test, but it was a way to, 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 to basically see how they thought by having to interpret an income statement. We'll get into it in any more depth than that, other than to say people could not only could they not be able to process and you'd find that out from this test, but you'd also find out when they had a shitty attitude. You know, they, they basically, they didn't want to take the test. They said, oh, I, you know, I only had one cup of coffee. You're asking me to take this test kind of thing. It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, what I hope the Ravens have that's like this and, and, and why I brought this up is I hope they have their set of questions that really helps them identify who are the people who want to work their interview process. I hope it gets at that. And, you know, if, if Jody just asks a guy, hey, I can I can teach you 
how to play with your body. I can teach you how to how to use your God-given gifts and improve your body. But you got to be committed to uh, to, to uh, figuring out the weight room and and to doing all those things. And and every other guy on the other end of the phone or the Zoom call in this case is going to say, "Yeah, yeah, coach, I'm all in on that. I am completely committed to that." And if he's lucky, he doesn't reach up with the wrapped cheeseburger in the other hand in his case to, to, to finish it off yeah. while he's on the call. But but seriously, I mean, the, the Ravens have got to have a set of uh, a set of questions they ask that really dig at coachability and maybe deal with personal experiences or whatever it might be. I'd really be interested to know what those are. You know, Bishotti coming from a hiring background, you know, a personnel background with, with, with the companies he's built. I bet he has a lot of great ideas on this or, or his top people would have come in and, and, and brought some of that to the Ravens. And I, I just, I'm pretty sure it's likely they have this kind of thing, but I'd really love to know it in terms of coachability, how they identify it with questions. I can tell you, I can tell you for a fact, one, one thing, or at least I'll go. I mean, two prong question that I know that they asked. They asked the guy, what do you think you need to work on? And what are your weaknesses? Because they already know your strength. Mm-hmm. If they didn't know your strength, you wouldn't be sitting in that room or on that Zoom call. So that but they want you to be transparent. So they're gonna ask you, where do you feel like you need to work on? And that what areas are they get like and then but the, what they want to hear is not oh well, I, mean, I I could get better at this, I could get better at that. They want to hear the guy that's gonna say everything. You work on everything. You know, or, or 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 a guy who's gonna you know be up up front about his weaknesses, or like you know, like oh, you know, I, I really struggled with my fast sets or vertical sets. You know, this, this past year, but it's something I've been working on with the foot doctor, with 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 balance bands or, or whatever. And the guy, yeah. if a guy gets into the intricate ways in which he's telling you how he intends and how he's been trying to improve, you can see that improvement, you know, from year to year, especially with some of these advanced metrics. Um, and nowadays. Like that's what you want to hear. That's what coaches want to hear. Like I've spoken to many coaches about, you know, like what do you look for? Like um, when I was when I was covering covering colleges, like you know, what do you look for in in, in a recruit or a future prospect? They said they want they want people who who want to learn, who want to be coached, not people who come in thinking that they're that they're the hot shit already because you know because you wanted them because you recruited them, but the ones that want to be there and want to be coached are. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that's a good point, and it's asking them that. You know, you you hopefully get a very honest answer on that, and 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 not um, one that they're intentionally intending to gloss over. Now, the, one of the problems with players is they're going to be extremely well coached by their agents before the interview to say, "Look, if they ask you about weaknesses, you you find three that you really want to talk about in terms of how to improve your game, kind of thing." And you have two of them where you've already got actionable things that you're doing on. So I, I, I wouldn't even trust that coaching. I'd rather ask him a question about movies or something to try and figure out if that somehow relates to coachability and, and the player, you know, can be caught off off guard because the question is not directly about football kind of thing. So I, I, I'd like to, you know, I'd, I'd like to see that. I'd like to, you know, have another question about world events. If, if you really try to figure out about processing and information, how they're taking it in, it's give me something different. Yeah. to get at it's, that it's funny you say that so because like from for my, my full-time job of covering covering sports up here in anchorage so like for every year for we go about like covering certain sports in non-traditional ways like to get so to kind of get ahead of some of the athletes we'll have a series of questions for them right and like one of them like, like i'll ask you know like what got you into the sport and where do you feel like yours is your best event and then i'll throw a curveball what kind of netflix series do you like to binge watch or like, you know, what, what, you know, are you a hype music guy? What, what's your favorite kind of genre of music? And like, not only does that relax the person, but it kind of gives you a, 
Like, what do you like? What is your favorite non-sports leisure activity to do? If, if an athlete tells me that, that their favorite thing to do is play video games or just sleep, okay, you're not really dedicated to your craft like that. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that you know you shouldn't be allowed to do those things. It's a good but question. If you, but if you say, if you tell me, well, I, I said, what kind of non-sports leisure activity you like to do, and you say, I like to train, or like you know, I like to run for fun, or you know, you have to do some kind of physical activity, okay, this is someone who's dedicated to their craft. Like you know, you'll come across those kids who have the um, who like who do the year-round coaching, who don't just train during the season, but they have their own personal coaches that they get with in the off-season to keep refining those skills. So those are the things I feel like coaches at every level look for, especially at the professional level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's good. You'd have to listen to how they explain their thing. Maybe you learn something about their time budgeting from asking, asking him a question like that, but that's, that'd be a good one. I, I don't know who's supposed to be next. I think you brought up Tykeem Das, right? So do you want me to yeah. go to my yeah, next guy ahead. here? Let's see. We have gone through a lot of these now. Okay. There's one. Uh, let's go to Maryland wide receiver, Dante Demas. That was going to be the next guy on my, on my list right there. Go ahead. So we know him pretty well here in Maryland, six three two twelve four fifty seven forty. 450, Um, had an unbelievably bad year in 2022. Now he was recovering from an ACL that he suffered in 21, but he was really bad in 22. 5.5 yards per target, a 66.9 passer rating throwing to him. Uh, The thing you have to look at is say, who is this guy? And if you look back to 2021, he had 14.1 yards per target. That's like, I I think uh, JSN might've been close to that number in 21 also and he basically only had eight targets this last year and he's drafted you know almost the top wide receiver in the entire class so you could look at those two and say you know hey if we're just going by results then Dante Demas is not too different from JSN in terms of of you know what happened to him from year to year um 7.0 yak perception natural x receiver uh, a lot of things to like about that it's just this I, I don't know how to how to figure out what kind of an injury red flag he still has after not coming back from the injury. One of the big differences is JSN, apparently a lot of soft tissue injuries that he was uh, not able to play through and took some heat for, by the way, uh, from, from Todd McShay in particular, but uh, uh, you know, had trouble getting on the field for that. But Demas, uh, you know, he has some really nice things. He has some wiggle at the top of the route um, uh, that is not, that is not great. I'd say, um, he does not decelerate particularly well. And I'm, that was looking at a 22 tape in terms of, of a, a guy who sits in the chair and, and really knows how to, how to do it. But I've got to bet that given the differences in yards per target, he had better wiggle and better deceleration in past years. Uh, still has good effort at the catch point despite the mediocre results. Uh, and I think he's a good practice squad chance. I, I don't think he'll make the roster as, as a receiver. Um not that the room is too crowded, but I, I don't think he uh, uh, will make the roster. Uh, where are you? Yeah, yeah, he's a guy that you know. I I, I did, almost didn't want to, didn't want to talk about. I didn't even mention him in, in the article I wrote about the UDFA just because I I just like, don't really see a path for him onto the roster. But he's a guy that I know you know Ravens fans and Maryland fans in particular are gonna you know want to want, want to hear about. And like he's a guy he kind of reminds me a little bit of of Shamar or Shamar Bridges based off of his. His tape yeah. from last year, you know, big contested catch guy, you know, doesn't doesn't break like I said. I I, I really feel like given, I kind of give him like a somewhat of a pass because you know, we all, as we all saw with, with J.K. and with Gus, that first year coming back from ACL, especially when you're in a skill position, yeah. you're you're just not going to be the same. You're still like a year away from being. 
from being, you know, yourself. It really takes players like a year and a half, sometimes even two years, depending on the degree of damage to that knee. Um, especially when you're when you're playing a position that relies on on, on sudden and sharp movements, you know you're still going to have that 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 little bit of tightness, that scar that scar tissue that kind of drop legs sometimes, depending on what exactly happened to one of your little extremities. So I said, he's the kind of guy I give a little bit of a pass in twenty and for twenty twenty two. I know everybody's kind of focusing on that on that um that highlight highlight catch he had of a of a, of a Joey a Joey Porter. But um, so he, he's a guy that you know like stretch the showed that he can stretch the field and in, in, in his career. And um, if he makes some nice highlights, pilot plays, highlight catches in the preseason, he'll definitely be, become a fan favorite real quick. But uh, still, I don't I don't see a path for him onto the roster unless this guy just goes balls to the wall, special teams. Yeah, the the, the camp the camp darling route has not really a, been a successful one. The Ravens have in a, in a large way, but you know, barring injury, they have the guys they they think are going to make the team, and they almost always do. And just a few slots are really up for grabs, up for grabs in, in training camp. But, uh, you know, he is – I can't tell you who that guy is right now. And if he comes to camp and he looks more like the 14 yards per target guy uh, than the 5.5 yards per target guy, then it's it'll be one of the really interesting stories of camp. And I think that that's, that's part of the fun of having him, uh, having him on the team. Yeah, by that time we'll be more than a year and a half for a move. So we'll 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 see when we get there. All right, I got one or two left. One or two more left here. Uh, the next one is the Colorado School of Mines guy Trey Botts, six two two eighty four defensive lineman, uh, thirty bench reps is his calling card. So uh, shorter arms, but thirty bench reps is good no matter what your arm length is. That's ex- that's exceptional. He was the RMAC. Defensive player of the year. And I do not know what the RMAC is, <laughs> but but that's where the Colorado School of Mines plays in uh, in a Division II program. Uh, 64 tackles, 16 tackles for loss, five and a half st- sacks. Uh, obviously, the Ravens have something they like here. Uh, a lot of these guys, by the way, you can't necessarily find college tape on them, but you can find high school tape on them. And I forget if that was the case with bots or not, but there are several guys who, who fall into that category. And, uh, you know, given their need on the defensive line, uh, it seems like he might be a guy probably needs to grow a little bit, takes take on some more weight. But if you can get up to about, about carry about 20 more pounds, he makes sense at a three tech. Uh, otherwise, he's a, he's a little light in the loafers. Uh, otherwise, for that, maybe a Maybe three hundred on the nose. Maybe he only really needs to gain about fifteen pounds, but uh, but he's kind of undersized, frankly, for a three tech right now. Yeah, I mean, who's but this, who's another guy from Colorado State playable until we know that you know took a little bit of time to develop, but now is 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 playing gangbusters and guy like Ryan Jensen came from the mm-hmm. same came from the same school, same program, different positions, albeit on the other sides of the ball. But you know, I, I am actually familiar with the Colorado School of the Mines, though. Um, I, I, I just just covering sports up here. There's, a, there's, there's they have some pretty good uh, track and field runners there. But as, as far as his prospect himself, like I said, I didn't put too much stock on the on the elite. I don't say elite, but the guys who run from uh, known for more run stuffing than 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 pass rushing. Um, like I said, like I said, whenever you're that strong, you can if you can show you can push the pocket. Just because the sacks aren't everything, you know. So mm-hmm. like I like I didn't I wasn't able to find any any pressure numbers on him. But he's a he's a guy that you know if you can show they can push the pocket in the preseason and maybe you can stick around, especially if you have a penchant, a penchant for stuff for stuff in the run because the Ravens are one of the teams that still value that in the defensive lineman. You know they're always going to be a run stop the run first kind of team. Do, do you value a guy maybe who clearly has a workout ethic like um, Trey does, 
to be around some of the other rookies and make them work to get stronger? Is that is that a North Star work ethic you want at camp? Even if maybe you think this guy is not going to work out. And and you know, he he was some conferences defensive player of the year. That means something. So he probably does have a chance to work out. I just wonder if 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 there's a value in having that and you've got other players out there like uh Tykeem Doss who Tykeem Doss at least is he's a, he's a little bit related he's he's a little bit in touch with his strength. So he's he's done some work there. But they have other guys like like the lineman they drafted in the sixth round who's just not strong enough right now uh, that, that would benefit from having a Trayvon around. Yeah, you know, iron sharpens iron, man. And you get in the weight room, testosterone gets to flowing, and you see some other guy throwing up weight, and, and you're going to want to try to, you know, throw up the same amount of weight or try to keep up. And, you know, like that's the kind of thing that, especially for those lower round and undrafted guys, um, you're going to have to do something to separate yourself. And if you got this undrafted dude, Who's because like this coaches? I'll tell you one thing right now. Coaches will always highlight the dudes who are working their ass off on and off the field, and they're like, you know, like, hey, you know, this kid, you know, like, a hey, great, like, I can hear Harbaugh now. You know, great, great thing, great thing about Bots, man. Where Bots was in there throwing out, throwing around the weight. You know, he was getting in there on special teams, and he was good. Like, good vibe about Bots. Work is down today, Bots. Like, I, I, I just, I, I can hear it now. I can hear it now. So uh, he's the kind of guy that uh, he's one of those high effort, high motor guys, and you know, especially one of those guys who are dedicated in the weight room and as well as on the field. Um, we'll have a chance to stick around um, for the for the Ravens' lease on a developmental um, basis. Your turn. Okay. Um, I, I didn't I didn't do too much on on a, on a tight end just because it's like the Ravens are set at tight end. Um, then the, then the quarterback. I, uh, the only thing I really saw about him was you know, he's not gonna none of the he's not gonna challenge Tyler Huntley for that backup quarterback job. Now if they would have brought in a guy like a Malik Cunningham. Then you know, my ears would have perked up a little bit. I would have been like, okay, here's a guy that could potentially be the next Tyler Huntley. But um, the Delaware, the Delaware guy, I, I don't see him threatening Huntley. And I don't see either of these, um, either of these tight ends that they, they brought in. The more I just kind of envision them more as camp bodies, even though I think the other guy was a little produ- more productive. I think uh, one of the guys put up some decent numbers in this last year at um, in college as a receiver. Yeah, they've, one of them is really a blocking tight end. Hey, let's talk about the. I, I, I'll talk about those three guys if you if you don't have other things to say about them. But Nolan Henderson is a, a shorter guy at 5'11", uh, 202, 453, 40. So he's pretty quick for a quarterback. Um, extends plays very well. Uh, three plus seconds time to throw in each of his years of college, which is that is incredible that you can maintain that kind of thing. And he's been as high as I believe three point two, and even while taking you know, that long to throw is, I think it's 3.02 in his, in his final year, he still only had a 4.9% sack rate. So that's really good. Um, you know, we could do that 50 touchdowns, 13 interceptions in his career, broke several of Joe Flacco's records at the university of Delaware. And I think he competes with Anthony Brown for the practice squad role is how I would look at him. So, you know, I, I don't think he'll, he takes Tyler Huntley's job until 24, you know, and then, then, you know, who knows if, if, if he's around or not, but uh, Henderson was, you know, kind of an interesting prospect to me. I, I, I don't know that he's quite good enough to hang, but, uh, but he might. And, you know, they, they, they always keep a, a third guy on the practice squad for uh, exactly such purposes. The two tight ends, Brian Walker of Shepard. Uh, good luck finding tape on him. The Ravens put out about a minute or something. There's an interview out there uh, uh, with him that, that's, that's extensive. 
Um, you know, they're talking to him. He's got a LinkedIn profile saying he's a student athlete and this seems to be, you know, kind of looking for a job maybe, but uh, <laughs> just a summer internship. But it'd be nice. It's probably a good idea. He's from Clarksburg, Maryland. Um, he had 63 receptions, 799 yards this last year, and he's first team all PSAC East. Uh, and, and so it was a, the D2 All-American first team. So, you know, it certainly has some accreditations that are that are meaningful. And here's the interesting thing. He played with Ty, Tyson Badgen, who is the most prolific touchdown passing quarterback in all of college football history. Has, I believe it's 159 career touchdown passes in total. 148 was a Division II record, and Walker caught number 148, and 157 gave him the, the all time any division record. And Walker caught that one also. And so, uh, obviously, Badgent uh, uh, is not really a, a, a considered to be a, a fantastic pro prospect. I imagine he's in somebody's camp. Yeah, he signed. Um, he signed somewhere. I saw. I saw it on the NFL Network. Yeah. He signed somewhere. Yeah, I think his dad is the professional. That's the guy whose dad professional arm wrestler, right? Badgent. I think he's the guy that they were talking about the Senior Bowl. Whose dad was like a professional arm wrestler. Huh. He was. Uh, he, he was there. He was there watching him at the Senior Bowl. That's interesting. I, I did not know that. Uh, Shepard, a four eighty-seven forty. So I don't think I don't think honestly he's a he's a great candidate to be a uh, practice squad player. He might make it, but the, the Nebraska tight end uh, Vokalek, who's six six two fifty nine, uh, he's a sixty year senior. He's what about two hundred and fifty years old? No, he's uh, he'll be twenty five in June, so he's old. Um, solid pass and run blocker. Uh, really rarely asked to pass block, which is kind of nice because it probably means he has a little bit in terms of receiving skills. But here's the thing I really like. Nebraska plays a lot of unbalanced offensive line, mm -hmm. and they trust him to play the tackle side on the light side of an unbalanced line, which often means he's going to have some sort of inline backside blocking responsibility. So that was nice to see. Uh, and uh, I think if, they, if the Ravens find themselves in need of a blocking tight end, I think he could be the emergency guy. So – Probably for me, he's the more likely practice squad players. It seems like there's too much overlap with what Brian Walker can give you with what the other tight ends are already on the roster who are flex guys already give you. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a guy who I, like, you know, I, I just couldn't find a way even for him to be in the practice squad, even though he said he put up good production. And like I said, I had him kind of like jotted down off to the side, but given all the receiving talent they already have with Andrews, I mean, it, it, it's going to be hard even just to get likely in Kolar, um, you know, regular, regular targets yeah. in this offense, let alone a UDFA guy. So, um, like, even if he does ball out, I can see him being, if he does ball in a preseason, he could be a guy that's a potential trade candidate. You know, you never, you never know, but like you have to really, have to really show out. Yeah, the Ravens did have a trade of Nick Easton a few years ago, which is a guy, a guy they got undrafted. The 49ers had an injury, and they traded a seventh round pick to the Ravens for it might have been a conditional seventh for Easton. That uh, was was kind of nice. A couple guys we haven't talked about, but but I'm not, I don't really have anything to say about them. The, the center from Connecticut, Jake Guidone or Guidone, I'm not sure how to how to exactly say it, but. Uh, just a serviceable guy at UConn, not a special guy. Uh, nothing really to say about him. I think he's upside is probably the practice squad. My guess would be probably he's just a cut. Then um, they anything to say about him? Um, he's going to be a guy that they're going to have around for rookie mini camp and for the fourth quarter preseason pre games. <laughs> All right, well that that's fairly clear. Owen Wright, um, who's a 
bigger back, 5'9", 219. So that's a thick-bodied dude. Uh, yeah. Runs 453. Um, he's only had 638 total college snaps with 239 carries. So he's in there. He's usually getting the football. Uh, you think a big guy like that playing at Monmouth, so they're going to have a lot of smaller opponents, would do better in terms of yards after contact. But he's got terrible yards after contact, terrible at missed tackles forced, both of those things. Uh, much below a standard, the real big context questions to start with. Uh, it's just not a good combination of, uh, of things. But the one thing that stands out, and I saw a little bit of tape on him, was what a good pass blocker he was. Very aggressive, moving forward, hit the guy low, pass blocker. And I don't think defensive linemen want to see him because he's going for their knees or really their thighs. And, and the guy is fairly well-practiced in terms of where to hit people uh, uh, to, to flip them as a uh, pass blocker. Yeah, that would get you a practice squad snippet at the next level. Yeah. By the way, this guy also had an interesting question he was asked. And so they had one of these, you know, what did you have for breakfast kind of interviews thing. But, but who are the three people you'd like to have dinner with? And his three people were Saquon Barkley. Okay. A fine understands. So you think he's a pop, pop culture sports fan, you know, millennial, whatever you want to call him. Second was Quentin Tarantino. And the third one was Jesus. And then I thought, that's that's well coached, and, and, and but he is touching all the bases with that you know, in terms of yeah, appealing funny. to various people in the in the room. Uh, one other guy I thought was on here, and let's see if I am wrong about that. Nope, he's he's the last one. So I think we've we've uh, we've we've hit on all the sixteen guys that I had on the list. Did you have anybody else on your list that they got late? So I saw that they had added a couple more people. Um, a fullback from let me see. Oh, goody, a fullback. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just, I, did, I didn't even I didn't even bother looking that up, man. I mean, it's just you know how many you got. You got Patrick Ricard who's probably going to play. I I I because I, 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 people are saying that the Patrick Ricard roster is going to be in jeopardy this year. I was like, absolutely not. I mean, the Ravens, like they even said when they hired Doc Martin, they still want to keep a lot of those Greg Roman uh, run concepts. And Petra Carr, who's a guy who can play that, you know, like that blocking tight end role for you. Yes. Guys. He splits half of his time with the running as a tight end anyway. He's a guy that can fill multiple roles for you guys. And people, who th- anybody who thinks of him as just the traditional throwback fullback is, you know, clearly doesn't doesn't know ball. So Yeah, and, and Ricard's as needed. He's done that over the last few years. The, the, the Ravens are much better off when they have a guy who can block and they can put, put Ricard in the backfield. But – you know they they played extremely heavy the last year, and uh, you know, not out of choice. Probably they would have rather played have a, had a full wide receiver room and really used that. But what they had was tight ends, and they, uh, you know, they played basically the heaviest relative football they've ever played, or any team has ever played, I should say, uh, relative to kind of league averages in in, in terms of the number of uh, wide receivers on the field. But yeah, I, I agree with you completely that that Ricard is rock solid safe in terms of being there as a uh, as a blocking tight end at the very least. Yeah, and so the other two guys were uh, Texas State fullback slash defensive lineman, so maybe the next passenger Ricard, Levi, yep. Levi, Levi Bell, um, and then a Lafayette linebacker, Malik Ham. So, you know, the Ravens always going to have that UDFA linebacker. They gotta, they, it's got to have one every year. All right. Well, that would be interesting to, to, to see. And, you know, they're the fun guys to write about during, during the preseason games in particular. When they first start getting live fire – it's usually against each other because they're playing other threes basically on the on the uh, opposing team and the ravens have a great record of 
allocating their personnel well in the second half and dominating defensively in the preseason. I think they, they kind of jealously guard their meaningless win streak at this point. Um, I, I frankly, I love it. I love the fact that these guys are playing hard. So uh, it's just, it's more fun to watch and write about winning football after the fact. So uh, whether it's meaningless to them, I, I, I uh, really enjoy it. And you know who's who is not meaningless to Kenneth? It's not meaningless to those young players who you know sure. who, who who get that confidence going into the you know the guys who make guys who make the roster on the final week in the final week of the preseason. The guys who you know might be thrown into the fire because of an early season injury, but they come into the season with that confidence already already kind of I wouldn't say on ten, but built up knowing like hey I know I can play in this league. Look at what we just did in the preseason and all those plays I just made. So. The, the one thing I'll say about that, I, I agree entirely with it. it. This is their chance to put film on. It's it's the moment of their life. In a lot of cases, it's their entire NFL career is this preseason that'll come up. But but one of the one of the interesting things is the way the Ravens have allocated talent at safety in particular has been something where they're clearly trying to win the game even in the first half. Um, this last year, they had Tony Jefferson at strong safety and Hamilton at free safety in the first half. And then they went to Geno Stone at free safety in the second half. And let me just say, Geno Stone is a fine NFL player. He's starred on a lot of teams. When he's out there in the second half of a preseason game playing the whole half, he is freaking Ed Reed relative to the other players on that field. And it's just, it's unfair how much above the other players on the on the field he is. So, uh, you know, it's it's the Ravens. They're certain, they have little things that they're really willing to do in the second half of games. They give offensive linemen some longer trials. You still get some discontinuity there, but uh, they don't they don't really go to their third offensive line uh, scheme as much, and they'll still dial up blitzes and everything to to try and wreak havoc when they're protected on the back end the way they were with with a player like Stone. Yeah, and you know I feel like a strategic thing that the Ravens do in those preseason games is they give their primary backups sometimes a little more long, longer run just in case they can trade they can flip those guys for late round picks. So if yep. a team if a team is so impressed with a guy like Gene, even though I wouldn't I don't want them to trade Gino Stone because I value him so much on, on as a as a backup safety. But if a team were were desperate enough to like hey we need to start in caliber safety. This is a guy who started eleven games for them last year and is still here balling on the preseason. You know like hey we'll if they I feel like if the Ravens could like flip Geno Stone for like a, what the I would I at the, the most, like for a, a, a true desperate team, like a fourth or fifth round pick, if they could turn him into that, that'd be great. I mean, I'd, I'd settle for a seventh or seventh race condition, like, not seventh, eighth, but sixth or seventh conditional pick. But, you know, like, I, I don't even think that would be worth it for Geno Stone. No, that I'd wouldn't rather, be worth I'd, it. Yes, yeah, I'd rather them keep Geno Stone. But if you're looking for a four or a five, it might be a little tempting. And Geno Stone, honestly, is probably the Ravens' backup green dot at this point. That's, 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 he was when, uh, when uh, Clark had it. And he, he took the green dot for a week when Clark missed a game. Uh, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think they'd be the they would do that. It might be Hamilton now. If Hamilton is going to play every snap and, and be on the back end, he can do it. If Hamilton's going to play slot corner, then he can't be the green dot. So well, you, you Roquan, up, Roquan, he's never coming no, off. No, no, Roquan's got it. The question is who who uh, he certainly will be the start the first green dot. But once he loses, if if Roquan is lost for some reason, who's your backup green dot? And it can only be one of four positions effectively on the field. It could be either your safeties or either your inside linebackers. So you could give it to Queen or Simpson. Probably not, I'm thinking. And it probably ends up going to Stone, who's going to be playing strong safety, I would think. So it would yeah, be interesting. Yeah, that makes the most sense to me. Yeah, that makes the most sense to me. 
All right, my friend, always a pleasure to do these things with you. And, and uh, you know, you, you get you're, you're very fun to do these with because you're always excited about the information here being delivered. And, and that's just something I kind of feed off to. So, Josh, tell folks where they can find your writing online. Yeah, so you can find all the Ravens stuff at um, Heavy on Ravens. That's the Raven, that's Ravens uh, sub-website for, for Heavy Sports. And that's where all the Ravens content can be found. You can find me on Twitter at JoshReed907. And, you know, if you're in the Anchorage area, uh, well, the Anchorage area, but if you're in the Alaska area or just are fun of, uh, fans of fun stories about, about awesome kids and athletes that are, you know, we because we do stories both on people in Alaska and abroad. Um, yeah, I work for Anchorage Daily News full time. All right. Outstanding, Josh. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short this offseason, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. Lots of opportunities. That one play is available. Uh, if you want to be part of looking at two individual players, one offense, one defense, it's, a, it's something I do this time of year. Actually, probably starting towards the end of May until the beginning of training camp during that dead zone. We have a lot of those shows going out. Uh, and if you have anything else you want to talk about schematically, uh, statistically, whatever it might be, uh, lots of time in the remainder of the offseason to talk about. We've, we've just basically ended with this show, the heaviest draft content we've ever done. And uh, and now we're rolling on to some other things that uh, really look at the roster and see how the Ravens are going to play this season. Josh, thanks again for joining me for this. As always, thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.